Okay, on the fringes of Tata Lit Live, which is uh, our country's premier literature festival, I'm speaking to some prominent authors who are featuring in the festival. I'm pleased to uh, welcome Emma Donahue. Emma is an internationally best-selling author of books, uh, novels, The Pull of the Stars, the most recent one, Akin, The Wonder and Frog Music. She's written short stories, plays for stage and radio, biography and literary history. And also, she's best known for her novel, which is shortlisted for The Man Booker, and a film shortlisted for four Oscars called Room, uh, that major motion picture starring Brie Larson, and uh, this promises to be an engaging chat. How are you doing? All well? I hope your family and you are safe and healthy in the pandemic. That's the first question we should ask each other. That's true. Yes, I'm I'm very lucky that uh, where I am in Canada, things have not been too bad. And, you know, it's, uh, I would say there's still a lot of sort of social unity. We're not fighting too badly. The government feels fairly stable. So far, so good. <laughs> Emma, you must be a bit embarrassed about the release timing of your book, The Pull of the Stars, based as it is about the 1918 Spanish flu. I believe the release was brought forward. You want to tell us about that? Sure, sure. Yes, I, I seem to have accidentally ended up publishing a pandemic novel in the middle of a pandemic, and such was not my intention. Um, I was inspired to write the novel in 2018 because of 100 years having passed since the great flu of 1918. Um, I finished the novel and sold it last year, but um, then my publisher said, oh, we'll publish it in 2021. So I delivered it on the 3rd of March this year. And then um, COVID happened and my publisher said, you know, it's about a pandemic, let's bring it out this summer. Um, but with, with so many other writers having their publications delayed and everything being cancelled, it felt very strange to suddenly find myself, um, you know, in the public eye bringing out a new book. But on the other hand, it's all about nurses and doctors and sick people during a pandemic. So it's been quite good to be part of that conversation. Yeah, you've actually preempted my next question, which is nurses, doctors, volunteers. They really are the, are the forefront of the pull of the stars. In a sense, nothing's changed in this day and age, has it? Oh, the similarities are, are eerie, yes. Um, I, I read interviews with doctors and nurses all the time, and, and quite a few of them have been saying how weird it is for them to, you know, work so incredibly hard and then to go out into the wider world and find people out there still not taking this seriously enough, you know, still laughing at all for saying it's no big deal. And the healthcare workers see exactly what's going on and they have to often help our loved ones die far from us because of quarantine conditions. So I think the what we are asking healthcare workers to do this year is just brutal. Um, I think they have to do emotional work as well as medical work, as well as running risks for themselves that they can't even be sure of and even the risk of bringing home COVID to their loved ones so um, I think just you know clapping for them or hanging up banners that's not enough Emma is in a panel a panel discussion with Peter May Shobade and Roshan Ali as the chair on writing during a pandemic and uh, it is absolutely live on YouTube Instagram Facebook Twitter as well as the Tata Lit Live website so please go check out listings it's going to be an invigorating chat completely as an aside did you grow up with fairy tales like most irish kids <laughs> i did indeed yes um i suppose in ireland we are on the edge of several cultures so i grew up on irish fairy tales about you know fairies stealing away the food and so on but also on those european fairy tales of say the brothers Grimm or french fairy tales too and i was fascinated by fairy tales from all over the world i used to go off to my local library and come back with books of you know greek fairy tales and indian fairy tales and i was so fascinated that the same little plots have arisen in in every culture so interesting or to see how a story will um you know move 
move around the world and take on a different flavor in each place. I believe the doctor in uh, The Pull of the Stars is based on a real character, somebody very enterprising. Would you tell us about that, please? Absolutely. I was not meaning to include any real people in The Pull of the Stars, but when I wanted to include an Irish doctor and I thought it would be interesting to go for one of the few women doctors, I found Dr. Kathleen Lynn, and she was a remarkable character and because she was a suffragette and a very interested in working for the welfare of the poor and because of these things she got very interested in the cause of Irish independence. So she fought in our small Easter rising of 1916 and and then she took part in the government once we had our own free state and she did all this while working very hard as a doctor and in 1918 she ran a flu clinic even as the police were looking for her to arrest her for her membership of Ireland's revolutionary organization Sinn Fein so she was just such an irresistible combination of qualities and i thought including her in my story would be a way to bring out the kind of politics of healthcare you know because she knows enough about um poverty and the fact that say the Dublin slums were the worst in Europe at the time so she's able to look at the suffering patients in this little maternity ward and to say you know this is political mismanagement it is not random who dies in a pandemic you know these are the these are the the terrible consequences of poverty and of mismanagement and terrible housing and you know crowded conditions and it's been very interesting this year rishi to see how many um political aspects of healthcare have come up again you know at first we all talked as if oh the pandemic is such a leveler it's hitting everybody but no it hits some people in some places far more than others and it's making us have those really necessary conversations about racism and poverty for instance true that i want to understand institutions in ireland run about that time you know in 1918 because it's a little alien in india because things are a lot more chaotic and also because one of the characters in the book you know, the pull of the stars uh, is from there institutions like the churches their missionaries their schools were they a very prominent part of the world at that time yes and um, i would say this was true in in both britain and ireland that in a sense there was a, an elaborate welfare state so that sounds really good doesn't that that an orphan would have somewhere to go and be fed and looked after um or that if a woman was pregnant but not married there was a place she could go and be looked after while she had a baby maybe or you know teenagers who got into some trouble instead of going to jail they could go off to a special school this sounds like a lovely idea but as with any institution where poor children are are kept out of the public eye you know they were basically and um, used as slave labor and there was a lot of abuse and a lot of you know not feeding them and beating them and some sexual abuse so we are now looking at a lot of these institutions in Ireland and saying you know they may have been kindly meant the idea of an orphanage is a good thing but in practice um, a lot of harm was done to a lot of children and in Canada where i live these days we again have have looked back at our a lot of our history and looked at the special residential schools specifically for our native people and we realized that these were appalling places where a lot of harm was done to them so um i'm not saying that all these people would have been better off just dying in the gutter but these institutions got money from the government to look after the poor or orphans and um, babies who had no families and in many cases they treated their residents very very badly um for instance women who who would give birth in one of these institutions they would have to stay on and work for several years as kind of punishment wow emma one of my abiding passions is the theater in fact a lot of my work in mainstream media on the radio or you know new media like podcasting revolves around the theater as well as books and mm -hmm. it is of particular interest to me that you are involved in the theater but the cancellation of your play the theatrical version of the room in canada i know it had its its run in the united kingdom but you were really looking forward to uh, 
to it coming to yes, Canadian shores. Yes, it was cancelled on, on opening <laughs> night in March. Must yes. have been a dampener. <laughs> and you know, in that aspect, the theatre fraternity is going through a bit of a crisis, isn't it? Oh, Emma? it's because agony. It's I mean, everybody's agony. inviting me for these online shows, but it's never really the same. I want you to talk about it. You know, it's funny. I've, I, at first, I, I flinched at the idea of, of you know, online theatre, but I now realise it's better than nothing. So I've started to buy tickets to watch these shows. And they're not exactly film and they're not exactly theatre, but there's something in between. And it's certainly, it's better than nothing. But yes, I cannot wait for the day when theatres are open again in some form. I'm sure theatre will survive, but right now it is so hard on those people who work primarily through performance or behind the scenes for performance. Because at least book writers, we could get on with writing our books and even publishing them and even selling them and reaching readers. We have ways, but live performance, live music and live theatre is just brutal and they're waiting and waiting. And um, what I'm writing at the moment, in fact, is a musical because I, I need to believe that someday theatres will open again. <laughs> You know? But but the, the room, the Canadian version, it was supposed to have a Canadian cast, you know, p people out of yeah. there. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. We did the play first in Britain and Ireland and Scotland. And what's unusual about the play is that the very brilliant director who is Scottish called Cora Bissett, she added songs to the play. And when I first heard about this, I thought, oh, no, you're going to make it a musical with, you know, dancing and jazz hands and so on. And she said, no, no, the songs will be a way for the, the, the imprisoned young mother in room to to let out her sorrow and her pain and all the things that she doesn't want to share with her child. So um, she uses the songs very much to sort of tell the mother's secrets and it works so well. So yes, we had we had um, brought the show to, to Canada and we were starting the, the North American premiere and it was all set to go and cancelled on opening night. But you know, everyone has lost something this year. You know, I have not lost any loved ones. So just having a play cancelled, that is nothing. Theatre will come again. Emma Donoghue is in a session titled Pandemic Tales. In the darkest of times, humanity shines through a Tata Lit Live started on the 16th, goes up right out uh, till the 22nd. Please check listings on the website and it's absolutely free of cost and you can catch it on all the social media uh, channels. My mother came from a family of seven. Seven children must have been exhausting for my grandmother. Now things are changing in India, but there was a phase for the longest time that you had to have loads of children. And I believe that's equally true for Irish women. You're and, absolutely. Uh, You're absolutely and, right. And, you know, and the book talks Ireland about that. Is, yeah, Ireland is such a tiny country and India is such a huge country, but we do have some things in common and yes the um you know women being encouraged to pride themselves on making so many babies i'm the youngest of eight children for instance whereas my sisters and my brothers and i we've all had no more than two or three children so that's been such a huge change in one generation and um, when i got interested in writing a novel about the the flu of 1918 and um, this tiny little fact grabbed my attention and that fact was that women in late pregnancy were the most likely to catch this flu and to have terrible side effects and it's it, it it caused many stillbirths and disrupted many births. So I thought it would be really interesting to tell the story of this gigantic pandemic through focusing on one little room with just three beds in it where women are trying to give birth safely during this pandemic. And I thought that would make the story very medically interesting because each of these women has a flu and is also giving birth. And, you know, giving birth is in itself so unpredictable because it's not an illness and yet it can kill both mother and baby if it goes wrong. So I thought it would be a wonderful kind of narrative complication to have these births overlapping and and the flu all going on in this one little room and i tried to create a kind of intense space of bonding between women and just like say fighting in the trenches so many soldiers from all across the british empire uh, you know formed very um 
you know, loyal bonds of comradeship with each other because they were all risking their lives together. And, you know, the, the worse their lives were, you know, stuck in those horrible trenches, the closer they felt to each other. So I was trying to create something like that, but for women. What Emma is referring to is actually World War One, which in effect is like a backdrop to her wonderful novel. Another thing, you know, as an Indian reader, you always try and draw parallels because, you know, that is my world. And, you know, the, your writer's world is, is different. The poor being swept off the streets so the middle class and rich can't see them begging. Again, something Ireland has been through. It's something India can identify with. I want you to comment on that. Absolutely. Um, I can think of that pattern in many parts of the world. There was that moment in, in America when they decided to sort of clean up New York, but that did not mean solving the social problems. It meant literally putting homeless men on buses and sending them out of town. Um, I think, you know, like I was saying about those welfare institutions, it's, it's a good thing to have orphanages, but not if the people who live in them are treated so badly. So I think any attempts to, to just sort of clean away uh, a visible social problem, we have to look at them very carefully to make sure it's not just, you know, doing harm out of sight. And um, I, think, I think this year, the COVID pandemic has made a lot of people actually think about our social arrangements and, you know, why some groups are being hit so much harder than others. I remember, for instance, in here in North America, when it was first announced that people of color were getting COVID and, and suffering from it much more, lots of white people were saying, oh, there must be some biological explanation. But no, it turns out to be social factors. It's to do with how many people live in your apartment and, you know, how easy is it for you to get to a doctor? It's, it's, it's racism. It's, it's, it's about... Um, you know, things like average income, it's, it's not biological at all. So I think many of us are having very um, enlightening discussions and thoughts this year as the pandemic makes everybody look very hard at our societies. Do you like confining your characters? I mean, I've read two, which is <laughs> The Room and The Pull of the Stars. Yes, uh, I've written many books and I would say in three of them, we are pretty much shut in one room. Yes, my, my novel from 2016 called The Wonder was set most of it in, in a sick room where a little girl tries to live without food. So um, yes, I, I that is a little bit of an obsession of mine. Yes, it's also, I must be honest with you, it's in a practical way, it's much easier to write a very intense story if your characters are limited you know if they're in uh, you know a prison or a single house or on an island together it, it literally kind of it, it raises the temperature of their interactions so so yes what can i say every every artist has their obsessions sure sure i know it's been a while but did you enjoy doing the hollywood circuit for room i mean festivals awards the works uh, yeah. you know sunset boulevard some writers feel out of their depth others are at home <laughs> no i was really not at home there I, I i laughed my way through that year because i was you know a, a novelist in her 40s um, I couldn't take seriously the emphasis on glamour and fashion and looks. I felt completely fish out of water and was very funny to me. I, in particular, I found film publicity just ridiculously silly compared with book publicity. Every book interview I've ever done with people like you, I've been asked substantial questions about books and about life and about society. In film publicity, they either ask about what you are wearing, which in my case was rarely anything very glamorous, or else they just ask, how excited are you that there's a lot of buzz about your film? And you're like, I'm very excited, I suppose, because it would be rude for you to say I'm not that excited. <laughs> so no, I'm much happier in the book world or the theatre world. Those are my, my people. But, but will there be more movie screenplays of your own book or others? I know you're active it in the theatre, but I'm talking yes. cinema and series. There's a whole world out there as far as series is concerned. 
That's true. Um, I have I've taken on um, about six film and TV projects since Room, um, and I would say the next one likely to make it to to the big screen is The Wonder, um, my my one set in 19th century Ireland. It's getting very close to being filmed if if COVID allows. So that one is likely to be the next. But I've also enjoyed writing um, adaptations of other people's books and original series as well. So it's it is an exciting world to me. It's just publicizing it tends to be all about the glamour, but the actual writing for for film and TV does appeal to me very much. And it's such an interesting area. It's changing so much. As you say, you know, television used to be sneered at as just uh, very light stuff. And now it's taken just as seriously as cinema. Saturday, the 21st of November, 7.15 p.m., 7.15 Indian Standard Time. Uh, Emma Donahue is in a session called Pandemic Tales. It's a panel discussion between uh, Peter May, Shobade, Roshan Ali and herself. You must be looking forward to this. Uh, have you uh, have you had previous trips to India? What do you think I of have. our wonderful country? <laughs> yes, I've only been once and it was tantalizingly too short because we were, we were delayed. We missed a connection and we got there two days late. So we spent two days in Toronto waiting to be in India was most frustrating <laughs> but when I got there no I, I I absolutely loved it it was all so interesting to me and um, even things that you know might be just routine to people who live there you know the train station in Mumbai it was just on a different scale I'm used to maybe there being two or three platforms here it was go find platform number 20 and I didn't know how to use the ticket machine until somebody kindly helped me and even you know how the trains work the way people stand there in the open door it was just like completely new form of transport for me so so i loved it there yes you improved your survival instinct (laughs) (laughs) and and the the session itself you must be looking forward to this i mean in essence it's about humanity shining through in the darkest of times and you're going to be in a panel with some very eminent writers yes it looks like that and i think um you know, getting to meet other writers is one of the great pleasures of traveling to promote your own book. Um, And so when you can have a group panel, you get much more out of it than if it's just you talking away, saying your usual things. Emma, are you writing more during this phase? I remember the great William Shakespeare wrote some of his best plays during the bubonic plague, even though he didn't (laughs) refer to them to to the plague at all, very fleetingly, perhaps once. So are you getting more writing done? Not more, not less. I would say I have been a little bit distracted. So instead of writing just one thing, you know, since March, I have bounced between a couple of projects. But no, I'm getting plenty of writing done. Um, and it is a great escape from from worrying about today. And also where I live in Canada is so close to America. I'm, I'm quite preoccupied with American politics. And, you know, I, I, I wish everything was just settled about their President Biden. It's, it's, it's unnerving to watch the headlines there. Um, so, so disappearing into each of the projects I'm working on is, is a wonderful escape from, from the present day, yes. Where did the story idea come from for The Pull of the Stars? You know, I read an article in The Economist magazine about the flu of 1918. And the, in The Economist, they don't say who has written each article, so I don't know who to thank. But that's a perfect example of how writers are always, you know, we owe so much to journalists and we owe so much to historians. All those of us who, who write or who circulate words, you know, we feed into each other's books. So nobody ever writes a book completely alone. Why do you say you're an Irish immigrant twice over, Emma? Well, first of all, at 20, I emigrated to England to do my PhD at the University of Cambridge. And I thought I would go home to Ireland afterwards, but I moved to Canada instead. So I suppose I have emigrated from Ireland twice. And to leave our little island is such a, a classic, typical Irish thing to do. You know, <laughs> We set out on, our, on the boats for centuries because our country is just a bit too small. So yes, I've done it twice now, but I, I'm very, very fond of Ireland and I try to stay connected 
to it. For instance, I'm making the film of The Wonder with the same company with whom I made the film of Room. That was such a good experience. Um, I, I like the way European film works. I mean, European as opposed to Hollywood in that it's very focused on the director and the writer and the little circle of creativity rather than a huge big group of people all talking about money. You know, so <laughs> I like that kind of film industry. My last question is only four chapters. Didn't you think that would be heavy? What dictated that choice? <laughs> I agree. It's tough on my readers. I'm trying to make them experience what it is like to work a long shift in one ward where you, you don't get breaks. You may be hungry. You may need the bathroom, but your patients keep needing things from you and their stories keep connecting and their needs keep arising. And, and I want e each of those chapters to feel like such a long shift that at the end of the chapter, you're kind of briefly collapsing before you gather your energy and go back in there. Yeah, but I have to say it's, it, it suits my style of reading because it's just very, very immersive. And I have to thank you for another wonderful experience, uh, Emma. Um, all you. of you, all of you, uh, just a quick one before we say bye to Emma Donahue. Search for Tata Literature Live on YouTube and Tata Lit Live on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You will see her live, catch her live along with other authors, 7.15pm on Saturday the 21st. And for all other sessions, in any case, uh, please check the schedule on the website. Thanks very much for your time and uh, have a wonderful evening ahead your time. And uh, uh, we'll see you online at the festival. Cheers. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Bye bye.